Well, friends, you can take a seat and happy March break, spring break, right in between school districts, March breaks. I woke up yesterday morning, Saturday morning, I was like, Robin, spring break, what are we doing? She said, we're painting the basement. I said, well, that's not my idea of a good time, but I hope you're having a good spring break or had a good spring break or are going to be off to a good spring break this coming week. Uh, but of course, we start our week here today in worship. Let me just say a quick prayer to center myself uh, and um, prepare our hearts now for God's word. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to gather in this house, to see brothers and sisters, uh, to hear children laughing and running around, uh, to sing your praises, to lift these prayers, and now come to your word, knowing that your word is truth, your word is life, your word guides us to know you and love you and know and love and serve our neighbors with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we just come and open ourselves up, uh, open hearts, open minds, open lives to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's just jump right in. A couple years ago, boy, I guess it's been a lot of years ago now. Who remembers the uh, Staples Easy Button? Remember the Easy Button? Yep, Staples made it easy. Uh, Amazon maybe made it easier. Just click and get whatever you want there. I don't need an Easy Button. I need a do-over button. Anybody ever want a do-over button? I think everybody, if they're going to be honest with themselves, you're like, I'd really actually like a do-over button. I think it would be great if I could just, you know, do that conversation with my spouse over again. Oh, I would like to just erase that past. I'd like to do that interaction at work over again. Boy, I'd like to do college in its entirety over again. I, you know what? Could I just hit the reset do-over button my whole life, start over with all my wisdom and experience knowledge right now so that I can move forward in faith? Well, life doesn't always work that way, but praise God that God does. God does actually offer us a do-over. So much of the life of faith is a do-over. We get to become new creations. We are born again. We get a spiritual clean slate and new life and resurrection through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah and amen that we can say like the psalmist, Thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. I may have messed up in that conversation, that interaction, that decision, that stage in life, but your mercy is new today. Your grace is new today. And today is a new day that I can move forward in faith. And today we're going to uh, talk about the life of a man named Moses who got a do-over. He got a do-over with God after he thought that he was done, that, you know, kind of the, his hopes, his dreams, his plans, his ambitions were just over. But he got a great do-over. And that's going to serve, of course, as an inspiration and encouragement for us if we have a do-over in God. But let's not forget that this story is, of course, going to point us not as much to Moses, but to the God whom Moses worshiped and the God that we know and love and worship through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit at work through our lives. We are in about the middle of Lent now. Lent is our 40-day buildup to the celebration of Easter, the uh, betrayal, uh, crucifixion, death, and then, of course, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've got great Easter plans, and we hope you are planning to be a part of them here at Connections with us. So what does Exodus, of course, have to do with Lent and with Easter? Well, we know, of course, that all 
all of the Old Testament is pointing to its fulfillment in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and then moving forward from there. But we know that more specifically, the life of faith so many times throughout Scripture from this moment forward that we're going to look into today and going through the ministry of Jesus Christ and on to a second coming is that our life, the life of faith, the life of the Jesus follower is very much the life of Exodus. It's the life of moving out of sin and death and brokenness, captivity, slavery to sin and all of its bondage into the freedom of the promises of Jesus Christ. Christ. We know that Jesus is the better Moses, the fulfillment of Moses. We know that Jesus is, in fact, the great I am. So there's a lot of connections from the Exodus story to the Easter story. And I hope that will become very clear for us as we go through today's text. Let me read for you a big chunk, big chunk, Exodus chapter three, going to read verses one through 14, um, because I can hardly chew gum and walk at the same time. I've given up on clicking my little remote myself. So Mike, if you can just follow along as I read the text for us this morning, I got to stay focused and on task. And really I'm a, I'm a one trick pony. So here we go. Chapter three, starting at verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Who? all right. As we read that chapter, let's recognize that we're entering into the third stage, actually, kind of the third movement of Moses' life. 
stage one, chapter one, we are introduced actually primarily to a character named Pharaoh. We actually never get Pharaoh's name. That's not the point, but Pharaoh is definitely the bad guy. And as we read that story, we uh, find out that a group of godly women have conspired against Pharaoh to do the work of God. We are introduced to the midwives, to Moses' own mother, to Moses' own sister, and ultimately to Pharaoh's own daughter who go around the Pharaoh who disobey him in order to do the right thing. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but that'll have to wait till another day. Chapter two, another great story, another great message. Moses, the child of promise is born. His life is saved. He's delivered out of the Nile. He's actually delivered into Pharaoh's own household. And we see that he kind of grows up with one foot uh, with the people of God and the other foot with the people of Egypt, one foot in the dirt, so to speak, another foot on a polished marble floor. He's living a life between two places where God is preparing him to be Israel's deliverer. Well, he gets a kind of ahead of God's plan. He sees to uh, sees an Egyptian mistreating one of God's people. He actually lashes out. He kills the Egyptian. He tries to hide the body. The next day he sees some, Egypt, um, some Israelites fighting. They call him out. He realizes he has been ratted out. Uh, Pharaoh actually says, seeks to try and kill Moses and Moses flees. He ends up in the desert. Things actually go all right for Moses. Uh, he ends up meeting a girl. They end up getting married. And as we turn the chapter to chapter three, we realize that Moses is in a place where, um, well, he might say this, life, life didn't go as I planned, but you know, it's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, I got a job. I got a wife. I got a couple kids. It is certainly not what I expected, but it's good. And what we're going to find is that God is going to give him, of course, an incredible do-over. Um, whenever God calls us to serve him, he calls us to a great task. Kind of one of, actually, one, one of the, the litmus tests is that the call, the task, is going to be bigger than anything that we could ever accomplish on our own, that we could accomplish just by our own strength. Whenever God calls Abram to start a new nation, well, he's 80 years old and childless and thinking about his retirement, and God says, I'm gonna do a new thing through you that you could have never done on your own. When God meets a guy named Gideon and calls him to be one of the judges and a deliverer of Egypt, uh, he goes and he, I'm sorry, of Israel, he, he goes and he hides in a, in a wine press, right? I mean, he does not feel capable and called to the task. Over and over and over again, we see that kind of, again, the litmus test of God's true calling on you and on your life is the call to do something that is going to require you, that will require all of us to rely completely on his providence, on his provision, on his hand working in and through our lives. Moses is clearly at this stage, but as we turn that chapter to chapter, turn, turn the page to chapter three, we see that he's entering in this third stage in his life. And we could say it this way then, that in his first stage, chapter one, his first 40 years, he's kind of thinks that he's all that. You know, he's got this unique call in his life. He's got his foot in the palace there in Egypt and he thinks he's all that. He gets ahead of that in chapter two and messes up the plan. He, so he spends that first kind of third of his life thinking like he's the, the biggest somebody in the world. He's gonna spend that next chapter, that second third of his life thinking that he's a nobody. 
thinking that he blew it. But he's going to learn now in chapter 3 what God can do with somebody completely humbled and surrendered to him, completely available for God's call and plan for their life. So Moses turns the chapter, turns the page here, and we discover him now shepherding. And that's a key indication for us of what's about to unfold in this story because is opposed to the culture. This is kind of like a cultural kind of interesting textual point here, here that the shepherds were always kind of the outcasts, kind of the nobodies, kind of they knew nothing else to do with their lives. They kind of lived on the outskirts of society. But God keeps calling these nobodies, these outcasts, these aliens, these foreigners, these people who maybe have lived some mess up lives. He keeps calling them to be the good guys. Whenever God calls Abram, he's a shepherd. Whenever God calls Moses now, we find that he is tending the flocks of his father Jethro. We're gonna see that later, a young boy named David is gonna be called to become king when he's nothing but a shepherd boy. We're gonna see that David's gonna use this as an idea for how God works in our lives when he calls him the good shepherd. We're gonna see that Jesus is gonna own this himself whenever he says, I am the good shepherd. So God has been preparing and been at work at Moses's life now for 80 years to be the kind of man, the kind of shepherd that God needs him to be. And let's just make that a point of encouragement for all of us. Again, if we're looking for the do-over, if we're thinking life has passed us by, sometimes the greatest thing God calls us to do is not till the final chapter, the last stage, 80 years and older in your life. So if you're at that stage, if you're there in your life, guess what? God's best, God's big plan, God's big movement in your life might still be on the horizon. Is that a good word for anybody who needs a second chance? Hallelujah, amen, I need that so much. God is preparing Moses. And finally, this man's heart has been humbled and is now ready to be the kind of servant, the kind of shepherd that God needs him to be. So Moses is out tending the flocks of his father Jethro. He's thinking just another day, day 14,660. That's 40 years, by the way, I did the math. Day 14,660, just another day out tending the flocks. It's good, it's good. It's not what I thought I was gonna do, but it's good. But then something happens. He sees a bush. That wouldn't, on fire, but that wouldn't be totally unusual. It's an arid desert climate. Lightning might strike. Somebody may leave a fire untended. Things catch on fire. That's not totally out of the norm, but he notices this bush is burning yet is not consumed. And he thinks, I will go over and look at this strange sight. And it is when he makes a move toward the bush that God makes a move towards him. And let's make that be lesson one in God's work of do-overs in our lives. It is when God sees him make a move that God moves toward him. Congratulations, you've made a move toward God. You got out of bed, you got dressed, you brushed your teeth, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, and you got here to worship. You made a move towards God. Here's the encouragement then for all of us. Keep moving towards him. Just keep moving towards him. Move your hands. 
in worship to him. Move your lips in song and prayer. Move your body in service to God. Keep making that move towards God. There seems to be something in God's economy where he will work in our lives and when we see him at work in our lives and in the world, he wants us to make a move towards him. When he saw him make a move towards the bush to see what was happening, to see what was going on, God then speaks into his life. And then when God speaks into his life, here is the point I don't want any of us to miss. Moses says to him, here I am. Now, that's a phrase we read a lot in the Bible, right? If we think about God's call on people's lives, we hear this phrase over and over again. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Moses, Moses, here I am. To a young boy named Samuel, here I am. To a prophet named Isaiah, here I am. But there's an interesting textual point on these people saying, here I am to God. Uh, I got online and uh, did a little digging around uh, in, in the historical Jewish text of this. And a commentator actually put it this way. It's very interesting. He said, if you would go into any Hebrew school, if you'd go to study the Torah today, and your instructor, your rabbi was teaching you Hebrew, he would take attendance and he would say, for example, uh, he would say Moses, he would say Abraham, he would say David, he would say Daniel, he'd say Isaac, Isaiah. And you would say... Aniho, I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but you would say, here, here, I'm here, I'm here. But that's not what Moses and Abraham before him and Isaiah after him and others following said. They said, Hineho, Hineho, not Aniho, here, Hineho, here I am. You see, it's the difference between a proposition and a position. If God's just taking attendance, you just say, here. But God is giving us an invitation to make a proposition. Here I am. It's an offering of himself to God. It's the recognition that when he hears the voice of God calling to him, his right and faithful response is to say, here I am. Here I am, God, I will present myself to you. Here I am, God, I will make myself available to you. Here I am, God, at your will, at your disposal. God is looking for worshipers to come to him, to make a move towards him, for him to reveal himself to, and for us to then make the proposition, here I am, God. What will you have of me? What will you do with me? What will you make of me? How can I honor and serve and glorify you, God? Moses has gone through step one here then. He has seen God at work and he has made it a move towards God. God has called out to him and he has not just sort of called the attendance role here. <laughs> he said, here I am. And it's that point that God can take him a little bit further. And it's that point the text gets really interesting because that's when God says, stop, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for where you are standing is now holy ground. Now, I have gone on ad nauseum whenever I preached on Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. I hate feet. Oh, yeah, there's something really, really gross about feet. I'm, I don't know if you're with me on that, but I just, I, I don't know. Feet just, they, they do not do. 
they do not do it for me. I, in fact, I am so averse to feet. I don't know if I ever looked at my own wife's feet until this past year. We've been married 25 years and we got her a new pair of ski boots. And we went to try on the new ski boots and she skied on them a day and she said, boy, these boots are killing me. And I said, well, that's kind of the point. They're not supposed to be comfortable. I mean, they're ski boots, they're not, they're not slippers. And she's like, no, they're, like, they're, re they're, they're really painful. I said, well, let's go and get them fitted and molded. That's what they do when you get new ski boots. So we went to this ski boot place and the guy, and she said, it really hurt on the inside arch. And the guy looked at her feet and what, I've just forgot the blank on the name of the bone. She can't remember either. I don't know what it is, but Robin has, I don't know, like, 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 a, like a thing on the side of her foot that I had never noticed. And the guy actually said, I've never seen this thing like this before in my life. I'm sorry, she, I'm, I'm grounded now, but that's all right. I'm preaching God's word. I mean, so she had this thing on her foot and they had to like mold it and bump it out and push it out. And the boots feel good now, pray, praise God. But I mean, so I never even looked at my own wife's feet. There's something about feet and God has a thing about feet too. There's something about our feet, of course, that reflects our humanness. There's something about our feet that shows our literal groundedness. Whenever Isaiah has the revelation of God in the place of worship, we even notice that the angels, the seraphim, have uh, three sets of wings. And with one of the sets of wings that they are actually covering their feet before the presence of a holy God. There's something about feet that show our humanness, our, our created from the earth, from the dust of the groundness. And God says, I, I, I need you to take off those feet because you are standing now on holy ground. And when we come into holy ground, what God is inviting us to do is to move from our feet, from our groundedness in the earth to our becoming grounded in him and his glory. Let's put it this way. I heard one uh, preacher put it this way. It's the invitation to go from work to worship. We still use that as an expression, even though a lot of us sit at a desk or work remotely from home now for a lot of work. But we talk about, let's get up, get on your feet and get to work. The Proverbs talk about this all the time. Oh, sluggard, oh, lazy guy, get up, get out of bed, get on your feet and get to work. We get up, we get on our feet, we strap on our sandals, we strap on our boots and we get to work. But what God is saying to Moses now is I actually need you to get to worship first. We know this, Moses, I'm going to have a great call on your life. You're going to do a great work in my name. You are going to be my instrument to bring deliverance to my people. I have seen their suffering. I've heard their cry. I've remembered my promise to them. Oh, the work that I'm calling to you to do is great. And it's going to take you the whole last third of your life. But you have to worship me first. You have to worship me first. The work of God always flows first and foremost out of the worship of God. Amen, friends? You should definitely say amen to that because that's worship if you say amen. The work of God flows out of the worship of God. Listen, God is able, God can. It ain't nothing for God to just bring his people out of captivity. It ain't nothing for God to reveal himself to people to bring good news to them. It ain't nothing for God to intervene in the situations and circumstances of our lives and of our world, but he wants to use us in the work of the kingdom. And if he wants to use us in the work of the kingdom, we must first become worshipers in the kingdom, worshipers of God.
please, friends, if we want God to be honored and glorified, if we want to see God do great things in our lives and through our church, if we want to see God move in our world, if we want to see wars end and peace prevail, lives changed, addictions broken, chains fall off, healings happen, if we want to see change in our world, God needs us first to be worshipers of him. And that's not just the preacher talking. I mean, that is the revelation that we have. And that is how God does his work in our lives and through our world. We begin with worshiping him. So praise God for folks like Cindy and Marcel and others that say, I will help you to come before God and to worship him. But the thing is, God doesn't really care about styles. He doesn't care if we got a guitar, an organ, or acapella. He doesn't care about any of that so much. I think he can be honored and glorified in all different kinds of styles and techniques and things, right? He just wants worship. He wants his name lifted high. He wants hands raised up. He wants prayers offered. He wants lives bowing before him. He wants people humbled in his presence. He wants us to come before him with shoes off grounded, not in our work in the world, but in our worship of him. But there's something a little bit deeper that's going on here for Moses and for all of us. It's not just about taking off your shoes and coming before God because it's holy ground now. It's about not bringing in the past to where God is calling your future. I don't wanna to get too graphic here. Yeah, sure I do. Getting graphic is kind of fun. Moses is a shepherd of sheep and sheep that graze make messes. And he spends his days, he spent the last 40 years standing in the mess of the work of the world of being a shepherd. And God is simply saying, I don't want you to bring that mess into this space of worship. I don't want you to bring that mess of the past into where I'm calling your future. And that's God's invitation for us. Not to say he isn't, doesn't care about our lives, that he isn't present in the places of pain and brokenness and hurt, that he isn't present in the messes of our lives. What God is doing now for Moses and what God is offering for us is to simply say, I want you to be able to move forward in faith without dragging the mess of your past with you. And I know that's a good word for a lot of us, that it felt like we again have made a mess of our lives. For those of us that feel like we messed up our teenage years, we messed up our college years, we messed up our adulthood, we messed up our grown uphood, we messed up what I know a lot of us are plagued with the past and the messes that we've made. For God to do a new work, for God to bring a second chance into our lives, he's just saying, I want you to be free to strip off those shoes, to step out of that mess and to step on the holy ground and moving forward with me. There's something very practical though about that, about grounding yourself in the word of God, getting connected to him in worship. Uh, I always like to even picture like the, the, an, an athlete and an athlete kind of you know, comes up to bat. Uh, you, what you always see them do, they kind of, you know, they wiggle their feet there. They get super grounded because they know they're about to take a swing and go for a run. I think just that's, that's the image that God is giving us of Moses. And that's the image that we need to have our lives. Come before God, strip off the past, leave it behind, ground yourself in worship, and as you worship God, know that he is gonna call you to spring into action. He's about to call you to get to work and do something great and glorious in his name. And then that's, of course, the third movement. God 
reveals himself to Moses. Moses makes a move toward God. God speaks to Moses and Moses says, here I am. God calls Moses then to worship him, to take off the shoes, to leave the past, to move forward and worship so that we can get to work in God. And then God tells Moses, finally now, finally, what he's gonna do. Yeah, I mean, I'm just preaching. I just got to that point now, but don't worry. So he finally tells him what he's gonna do. He says, I've seen my people's misery. I've heard their cry. I've remembered my promise. So this is the plan. I'm going to deliver them, Moses. I'm going to deliver them but you get to be a part of it. I'm gonna use you as my instrument. I'm gonna use you now as my shepherd. I'm gonna use you to bring the people out of their captivity and into the promised land. Moses, because of his checkered past, because of the baggage that he's still carrying with him, it's almost incomprehensible for him to understand how God could use a man like him. He's thinking, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm an outcast. I'm, I'm a murderer. I'm, I'm, I'm a coward who ran away. Uh, I haven't even been back home for 40 years. I mean, how, 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 who am I? That's his first statement. Who am I? And you notice that God, I encourage you to read through it again on your own. God never actually says anything about who Moses is. Moses says, who am I? And God's like, this isn't so much about you, Moses. This is about who I am. I've heard their cry. I've seen their suffering. I've remembered my promise and I'm going to deliver them. And then Moses asks a very good question. Well, then who should I say sent me? And it's at that moment we have the great reveal. Tell them I am. I am who I am. The great I am has sent me. Now, the best way I've ever had explained to me or read about how to understand this revelation of who God is and this uh, revelation of the very name, this the intimacy, this invitation to know God and to be known by him actually came from uh, the Lord of the Rings. Any uh, J.R.R. Tolkien nerds here? Yeah, so you'll know this better than me. Only one, all right, nerd. Thanks, Al. So yeah, so uh, I, I would never have been astute enough to make this observation but in the second of the story, the return of the, no, the two towers. In the second of the story, the two towers, uh, the people of Middle Earth are introduced to the Ents. And the Ents are an ancient tree-like race of creatures. And the hobbits, Merry and Pippin, go to the Ents to entreat them to join them in the battle against uh, Sargon. Am I saying that right? Any nerds want to? Yes, all right, Sargon. And so... What I was saying, right? Did I get it? Sargon? Anyways, uh, and they go and they meet with them. And the hobbits are very patient at first. Mary and Pippin wait and see as all the Ents come and gather. And they very patiently wait for the whole day as the Ents are talking. And then very eagerly as the sun is setting, they, they, they go to say, well, what is your answer? And uh, the Ent tree beard says, we've just finished saying hello to one another. <laughs> And as the conversation unfolds, they are growing uh, very impatient with this uh, group of people. And so they ask the Ent to reveal his name to them. And he says, I won't. He actually says that his name isn't Treebeard. That's just what they call him. He says, I will not reveal my true name to you because you lack the patience to understand it and to hear it. 
And then Treebeard goes on to say, and the other thing about my name is that you also have to know that I am the oldest living creature of Middle Earth. And my name keeps getting longer the longer that I live. And that's the revelation that we have of this God who's now revealed himself to Moses. He's saying, I'm going to simply give you the short text because it would be too much for you to say all that I am. But when I say that I am, I want you to know that I am the God who hovered over the waters of creation and called into order all that is. I am the God who saw my people sin and delivered Noah and his family on the ark. I am the God who wanted to do a fresh new thing. And so I called a man named Abram to begin afresh and to create a nation and a people and a promise through him. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Joseph. I am the God of my people in captivity in Israel. I am now the God who will deliver you. I am your God, Moses. I am the great I am, and the longer that the great I am works, the more that you will see how great the great I am is. I am the great I am who will come and fulfill the promise of Isaiah to become incarnate in the flesh through Jesus Christ, my son. I am Jesus, the one who has come to save you. And Jesus would go on to wrap up his life and his ministry when he would say, I am the spring of living water. I am the bread of eternal life. I am the vine and you must abide in me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the great I am. Hallelujah, amen. All right, somebody is getting excited. So Cindy and Marcel, get on up here because we are going to take a few moments now to worship the great I am. If you wanna take off your shoes, go ahead. Just don't let me see your feet. Take a moment now. Ground yourself in the worship of the great I am. Ground yourself in his presence. Ground yourself in his glory. Ground yourself in his being so that you may be known and know him. Ground yourself in the worship of God. And as you do, I wanna give you a little prayer. And I encourage you to actually use this prayer uh, for the remainder of Lent all the way up through our celebration of Easter and resurrection and maybe on through the rest of your life. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer you can say actually with every breath. And it simply mirrors what, we, what has been revealed to us here in the story of Moses and the burning bush. Is it to come before God and with every breath say, here I am, oh great I am. Because after all that preaching, that's really what it is. Here I am, great I am. Here I am, great I am. Here I am, great I am. Take this day and use it for your glory. Here I am, great I am. Take this offering of my time and my day. Here I am, oh great I am. Use me to bless another person today. Here I am, great I am. Allow me to be a servant of my spouse this day. Here I am, great I am. Allow me to love my children the way you want them to be loved. Here I am, great I am. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you have revealed for us the greatness of who you are and that you are the great I am. 
the God of creation all the way through, the God of your promised return through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. And so with every breath that you give us to breathe, may we simply make it a declaration. Here I am, oh great I am. Here I am, oh great I am. We worship you. as we respond in worship. If you want to stand, go ahead and stand. <clears throat>